As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and before I introduced my co-hosts, let me just say, dos acero. Now that I've gotten that out of my system, for now, I'm joined by Joe Lowry, who did a heck of a job tonight running our live pre- and post-game shows over on BR Live, or the BR app, excuse me. Joe, a solid night for you across the board, I have to say. Oh, Taylor, this should not be about me in any way. Are you kidding me? Well, first of all, thank you for saying those nice things. That was very kind of you. And those shows were tons of fun, and I'm stoked to do them again on Tuesday, pre and post game for Jamaica. But enough about that. This performance, man, Dos Acero is the perfect way to put it because that's exactly what it was. This is the first time in the last three games against Mexico, all wins, by the way, this is the first time that the U.S. has not only won, but actually been the better team on the field pretty much undisputably. What a performance from them. The first half, sure, there were dips and there were problems here and there, and we'll talk about all that stuff. But man, the beginning of that half and really all of the second half, the goal, Christian Pulisic getting the U.S. on the board with what I think was his first touch in this game, Weston (laughs) McKinney then sealing the game and sealing Dos Acero. What a night, man. And you're there. You're in Cincinnati right now as we're talking. I am indeed. I'm still in the stadium. I'm in one of the like the TV broadcast booths. We'll see how long they let us stay because we're recording this <laughs> about 1 a.m. I'm assuming they're going to want to shut down the stadium. So hopefully no one comes in and kicks me out in the middle of it. But it was amazing to be here. It's my first ever World Cup qualifier, or at least World Cup qualifier at like this stage in World Cup qualifying. Like maybe I've been to an early stage one against Cuba or something like that. But USA Mexico, a slightly bigger deal. And I believe it's also my first Mexico game uh, in person. And so for both of those to combine in a Dos Acero win was pretty awesome, I have to say. But so too were the United States. I thought it was their best performance under Burhalter that we've seen. Maybe one of their best performances ever. Maybe that's too strong. But I feel like to be as dominant as they were and as strong as they were against Mexico, really from start to finish, a few adjustments here, a few changes there. But for the most part, it seemed like they had a game plan. They executed that game plan. And then they continued to do so and ended up with a 2-0 win. Dos a cero, Joe. Dos a cero. Taylor, so we, we usually go through and do the rewatches on games like this. And, and instead for you, I know you watch little snippets back, but you went to press conferences, which is mm-hmm. great. And, and we can talk about some of those things in, in Baralter's comments, especially maybe as they relate to the Jamaica game and some things he said about that. But man, as you were doing those things in Cincinnati, I was rewatching this game. And usually when I rewatch, I think I end up feeling more negative about things and I start to nitpick and pull out different things that are valid, sure, but are, are a little bit more on the negative side. This is the first U.S. game in a while that I can remember rewatching and thinking that was actually better than I thought it was the first time around. Maybe because I was a little nervous, a little antsy in the first, you know, yeah. the first viewing of this game. Things were, things were chaotic. Things were, a lot of things were happening on the field at the same time. But man, going through this thing again, the lows weren't as low as I thought they were. The highs were maybe not as high initially as, as they turned out to be when I rewatched again. I mean, there was just a lot of, of things to like in this game. So we are going to talk about the lineups, the formations, everything that happened, the changes to the game, halftime, all that good stuff. But Joe, since you've already rewatched it and since you you feel more positive, was there a player or were there players that you felt like 
on first viewing, you thought, ah, yeah, that was good, but it could have been better. And on second viewing, you thought you said like, oh no, that was way better than I thought it was. Were there any individuals that stood out in that way? Uh, Yedlin for me is, is one of them. He was not perfect in this game, right? He had a, a couple of different misplayed passes that, that hurt the U.S. in this game and, and gave Mexico chances that they just didn't need to have. Took too long on the ball in the 29th minute to give it away in the U.S.'s own half and then another poor giveaway in the 80th minute with just a needless pass into the middle. That said, he has the header that, that cues the U.S.'s first goal that eventually gets the ball out to way on the right side for the cross into Christian Pulisic. He has a couple other key defensive interventions. Still, there, there is that moment where he's keeping Chucky Lozano on side for his chance in the 18th minute that Zach Steffen saves. It's not perfect, right, from DeAndre Edlin, but for a player that I wasn't even so sure should start in this game that I didn't really even want to start, he had a lot of key defensive moments 1v1 against Raul Jimenez or against Tecatito on that side and generally, I think, conducted himself pretty well. Maybe I'm thinking about this differently if Chucky Lozano puts that ball away in the 18th minute, but with how things turned out, he was he was a little bit better than I thought he was on first viewing. And I do sort of feel like he is the one who gets posterized a little bit because that is Mexico really, really successfully, expertly playing out of the U.S. Yes. high press. And yes. it's just a few passes and they go from one side of the pitch to the other. And in some ways, it, I've only watched it once, obviously, but I felt like Yedlin even being able to make that foot pursuit to make te- – uh, was it Chucky or Tecatito? It was, it was Chucky in there. And yeah, and, and yeah. you're so right, Taylor. He actually does sort of put him off in that shot. So there is some credit to be assigned there. There we go. There we go, DeAndre. Uh, who did start this game? Joe, let's talk about those lineups for a second. It was mostly what we thought it was going to be, certainly what we thought it was going to be in the shape. Uh, but what were the kind of differences from what we had talked about to what you saw in that starting 11? Absolutely. So Zach Steffen started in goal, and that was one mm-hmm. thing in our preview show. We, we weren't sure if it was going to be Steffen or Turner. We knew it was going to be one of the two. And then Baralda just went out and said it in, in the build-up to this game a day or two beforehand, after we recorded the preview, though. So, you know, that's the way it's got to be. Course. Zach Steffen ends up starting in goal. And DeAndre Edlin, we already mentioned him starting at right back over Reggie Cannon and over Joe Scally. Scally did not dress for this game. So Yedlin got the start there. The center back pairing was standard. Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. We weren't sure if it was going to be Zimmerman or Chris Richards. It turned out to be Walker Zimmerman, and I think that move paid off in a big way. Anthony Robinson started at left back. No surprise there. We had the MMA midfield. No surprise there either. And then the front three, Ricardo Pepe as the nine, Brendan Aronson on the left wing, and it ended up being Tim Weah over Paul Ariel on the right side, which also turned out to be just a, a smashing success in that role too. Weah brought the defensive energy that Ariola tends to bring too, but then he also added some offensive flair, some combination play, some speed, some quick feet in in, in areas and attributes and in, in moments that, that Paul really just doesn't have. So I think Baralta really nailed the lineup in a lot of ways in this game, Taylor. I absolutely agree with you. And I think the players may have helped him nail that lineup uh, because, Joe, I had missed the story about Tim Weah sitting down to watch film with Greg Berhalter, but that is a thing that happened. I don't know if it was in between games in the last round of qualifying or if it was after that camp. But they sat down and watched game footage of Way and what he was doing and what he could improve. And it seems to be a key aspect of him starting this game is him showing that level of dedication and that sincerity to improving both himself and the national team. And for him to come in and just have a – it's not night and day because it's not to say that he was poor before. But I feel like he was up and down sort of erratic at times in his other appearances for the U.S., Oftentimes good, but then sometimes a little bit wasteful. Tonight, I thought he was just consistently excellent and made smart decisions, worked back so well and did so much good defensive work. But then just those moments of taking people on and those little stepovers. And it seemed like he was a key part for the United States in getting that confidence and building that momentum in sort of starting to believe, hey, these guys can be got at. Let's go at them and make them uncomfortable. And the more the United States did that, the more they grew into the game the more it felt like Mexico were almost hanging on. And the final few minutes, there's the red card, and obviously Mexico are pushing for something, so that's when the U.S. do have to be a bit more defensive. But I think especially in those opening 20 minutes of the second half, it just felt like it was all United States. The pressure that the U.S. is able to put on Mexico really in a lot of different sequences in this game, from the start even, right? It's Brendan Aronson stepping forward and causing problems on the left side. It's Tim Weah doing the same on the right side. Then you've got that mobile midfield behind them and mobile center backs and Zimmerman and Robinson in the middle of the back line. All the pieces were fitting together in this game within the context of a pressing game plan. And we talked about that in our preview, right? Baralthers talked about it. That's a key part of this team right now. They want to step. They want to engage. They want to create issues for the opposition in the opposition half. 
And that's exactly what the U.S. did. And that's no small feat, right? Mexico, for their part, were missing key players. No Hector Moreno, who was injured in, in training in the build-up to this game. Nestor Araujo suspended. Uh, Cesar Montes injured, right? That's that's three center backs, and we probably would have seen one or at least two, uh, two or, or at least one of those center backs in this game. We ended up not seeing any of them at all for the reasons I just mentioned. So there are absences from Mexico, right? But Guillermo Ochoa can still clip those balls out to the fullbacks. The fullbacks still have quality on the ball, even if they struggle defensively. Edson Alvarez had a couple wonderful moments on the ball. Ache Ache getting involved, shaking off Tyler Adams in, in the first 15 minutes of this game, first 20 minutes of this game. Mexico is not a pushover, right? This is a strong team, even when they're missing players just like the U.S. is. The fact that the U.S. took it to them and, and really executed a lot of the things that we mentioned in our preview show earlier this week, just super duper impressive to me. Uh, no arguments here, my friend. If you look at the the FOTMOB uh, rankings for this game, the only U.S. player with a yellow score, which is basically below seven, would be uh, Miles Robinson. And you have to believe that's because he gets that red card. That probably knocks him down a bit. But then you contrast that with what we see from Mexico, and it's a lot of yellow. I don't see any red, but I see a lot of 5.5s and 6.0s and not the usual match rating you would expect from them. And that can sometimes be like, oh, they had an off night. They didn't play that well. And maybe that is part of it. But I do think, to your point, Joe, the way the U.S. pressed and how just much, how disruptive they were with that press and consistently disruptive at that. There's moments when Mexico are able to play out, play out of it, as we talked about. And I think that is the thing that was addressed at halftime and limiting their ability to do so. But for the most part, that front three stepped high, but really chose their moments as to who was going to press and when and where they were going to try to limit Mexico. And really, once they would get them to one side, it kind of suffocated them and locked them down. And we did see a lot of long balls from Mexico, both from the center backs, from even from the fullbacks on occasion, and then certainly from Guillermo Ochoa. And that played right into the U.S.'s hands because that's why Walker Zimmerman was there. Greg Berhalter talked about being concerned about Mexico's ability to win those long balls, to win those 50-50s, and they really wanted to be commanding in that area of the pitch. And I think in the first 10 minutes there's a long ball out from Ochoa. Zimmerman sprints maybe 15, 20 yards to win that ball cleanly away from Raul Jimenez. And Jimenez, I don't think even knew that uh, Zimmerman was there, but he definitely was there. And just sort of that, that moment to me was such an important moment of like, oh, they're pressing, they're cutting off options, they're forcing long, and then they're winning the ball off that long ball. And I think that header, Zim, just hits like a 30-yard header back the other direction. But there's other times when those headers are direction directioned out wide to the feet of the fullbacks or into like Tyler Adams' feet on occasion. And then the U.S. plays from there. And just to see the game plan work from like start to finish in that moment was not a thing I feel like I've seen the U.S. do as comprehensively or consistently as we did tonight. The center backs were strong, Taylor, and they deserve a ton of credit, Zimmerman and Robinson, in this game. Zimmerman, almost in the second half, was playing as a sweeper. At times, he had this play. Yeah. I don't have the minute down, or at least I can't find it right now, but he sweeps up in behind and, and cleans up a ball that Chucky Lozano is trying to get to, and it's a great 66 read. 66 minutes. 66 minutes. Thank you. That's Taylor, that's why they pay the big bucks right there, baby. <laughs> it, it's a great read and a great step from Walker Zimmerman, who is deep, trusting himself to be able to cover that ground, because if he doesn't, he's getting burned, and Chucky Lozano's in one-on-one with Zach Steffen. The center backs deserve credit, as do as do the outside players, right? One thing that we talked about after the Panama game was the disconnect. And, and this was also something that Bobby and, and Greg Berhalter highlighted on the U.S. Soccer Podcast, Bobby Warshaw. They discussed the, the fullbacks being late to make some of those defensive reads and, and at times being too high in possession. But I'm specifically thinking of in that game when Tim Weah and, and shoot, I, the, the other winger in that game was escaping me. But I'm guessing... Aronson probably? Aronson or... Which Ariola, game are you asking about? In the Panama away game. But whoever those players were, the two wingers were stepping high and stepping to the center backs, right? That's part of the game plan for the U.S.'s press, and we saw that again tonight. The wingers in that game were stepping to Panama's center backs and trying to funnel the ball out wide and force a chipped ball to the fullbacks for Panama. But then there was a giant gap after the wingers. The fullbacks were too deep. The the midfielders weren't able to step and compensate and, and cover that ground to step to the fullbacks either. It was night and day. From that Panama game to tonight, that was night, this is day, right? The U.S. was on top of those moments. Yes, they still funneled the ball into those same areas, but the fullbacks were engaged. The midfielders were engaged to set those traps that you talked about, Taylor. It was almost suffocating pressure from the U.S. from the start. Was it perfect? No, right? Again, I want to reiterate, this is not, the U.S. has not qualified. They have not done the job yet, but they did the job tonight, and the press was a huge part of that. Joe, I'm going to give you a second bite at the apple here because I'm guessing you can figure out who the other starter was. Here's your hint. He started all three games last time. 
<laughs> so it was Brendan Aronson? No, it was Paul Ariola. Oh, of course. <laughs> it was Ariola and Wea, my friend. Yes. So, uh, and maybe that's part of it is that there was more discipline and there was more sort of thought put into how they're going to press and how they're going to step and when they're going to drop off. And I think there was still issues. It's a thing that, uh, in the, like right before that Zimmerman play, where is sort of caught in between two minds because he wants to put the back line under pressure for Mexico, but also, uh, Gallardo has stepped forward and then Chucky or Tecatito, cause they would rotate a little bit, was also dropping in. And there's a 2v1 there and he doesn't want to sort of leave Yedlin in that 2v1, but he also has to go apply pressure. And he came over. There was a stoppage in play. He came over and had a very animated gun conversation with Greg Burhalter about what he needed to be doing and from that moment on he he wasn't concerned about tracking those runs he was concerned about putting those Mexican players under pressure higher up the pitch and forcing them backwards or forcing them long and that sort of roll of the dice is not really what I expected if I'm being honest I would have expected there to be a little bit more caution a little bit more now just drop off here and then once the ball goes out wide then you can step and to see the U.S. sort of throw caution to the wind to some extent was a big surprise for me, but a surprise that worked out. And it makes me wonder if that was a surprise for Tata Martino in Mexico as well. If if it wasn't a surprise that the U.S. was aggressive as they were, it was certainly a surprise that they executed as well as they did, right? I think you expect there to be gaps. You expect if you're Mexico to be able to find more pockets. And, and Mexico found some, right? Uh, Hector Herrera got on the ball and, and had some time and space in the first half. It's an Alvarez, the same Chucky Lozano, I, th- I thought, was pretty effective in this game, tucking inside into that left half space, even drifting centrally to either make a, a line-breaking run in behind the U.S.'s back line or to receive outside the pocket that the Tyler Adams, if you think about Adams as the six, they're spaced either side of him uh, behind the two eights for the U.S. And, and Lozano did a decent job of finding those gaps. But still, I mean, Mexico didn't build a whole lot. Their biggest chances was that Chucky Lozano chance and the Tecatito one that came 12 minutes later in the 30th minute. That comes after a little bit of a second ball scramble where the U.S. don't win the ball. And that was in a bit of a lull in the first half for the U.S. where they were a little sloppy. They weren't winning quite as many balls, or at least they were they were losing some some consequential ones. But man, yeah, I, I think Mexico had to be a little surprised with how darn good the U.S. was tonight. So we're going to keep talking about how darn good the U.S. was tonight in just a moment. But first, a break to hear from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. All right, Joe Lowry, we're sort of uh, jumping around from player to player, and I am fine with that. So let's keep going, but let's talk about that MMA midfield for a moment. I felt like, as I said, I think in the introduction, Tyler Adams maybe had the poorest performance in that first half, but I'm not sure if that was maybe nerves or, to me, more likely was that he was also directing traffic, making sure everybody was tracking their runs and their marks. And I think maybe sometimes when you are having to focus on what everyone else is doing, it doesn't allow you to be as locked in or what you as an individual are supposed to be doing. And so we did see some errant passes from him. I think Mexico get two pretty strong counterattacking opportunities from giveaways from Tyler Adams. One, I think, was a header. One, I think, was an errant pass sort of laterally that was intercepted and taken the other way. I'm wondering for you, Joe, who's now watched this game twice, what did you make of Tyler Adams in the first half and in the second half? I'm I'm right along with you, Reed, okay. on Adams. Taylor, the, the moments you're referencing came in the sixth minute. That's the misplayed header in the 11th minute, which is the poor ball that leads to Raul Jimenez breaking in behind the U.S.'s back line. Those are bad moments, right? You don't see Adams misread a pressing sequence often at all, right? We don't see that happen a whole lot with Leipzig, and we really don't see that happen with the U.S. national team. At this point, I don't take a whole lot of positive notes about Adams because you know what to expect from Tyler Adams. But I did take note of those negative sequences, right? Just because we don't see them happen, right? It's not a common thing at all. But in this game at the beginning, we were seeing some of those things 
but he grew. He grew into this game defensively as the first half wore on, and certainly in the second half, he had some key interventions defensively, stepping in, taking a hit from Al Jimenez in the second half, yeah. right? That was a big moment in this game. That one, and then the, the Brendan Aronson getting fouled by Luis Romo and then clawed in the face by Chaka Rodriguez that, that should have been a red card if, and, and certainly would have been if there was VAR. Adams was involved in some of those bigger moments of this match. And he, I, I thought he performed well at setting the, the early stages of this one aside. He's such a vital presence in that midfield and you can't press the same. You, the U.S. can't press like they can with Tyler Adams when he's not on the field, right? That's an obvious thing to say. But we could see how important he was covering for the center backs, covering for his two eights. McKinney and Musa, who I also thought were phenomenal. Perfect? No. But really, really good. I tweeted out the clip. It was the only clip I tweeted out of my rewatch. But this, this step over that Musa has in the 60th minute, Zach Steffen gets on the ball in the U.S.'s box, throws it out to Musa, you know, underhand toss or whatever it was. And Musa pulls out this really risky but encouraging step over to dodge past Edson Alvarez. And then it looked to me like he was fouled. Maybe not. I thought the referee generally did a pretty good job in this game outside of the the Chaka Rodriguez moment that he just didn't see. But man, it's sauce for Musa. And he was so strong progressing the ball from the U.S.'s, you know, the middle third into the final third, getting the ball to Tim Weah. And then Weston McKinney was dangerous, disrupting play defensively, getting forward. Obviously, he scores that second goal for the U.S. men's national team. The MMA midfield is is the midfield of the future. We've known that for a while now, and I'm just bummed that because of that yellow card for McKenney, who was on a yellow coming into this game, it means we won't get to see it repeated against Jamaica. I want to go back to those two incidents you mentioned, uh, one involving Tyler Adams, one involving Brendan Aronson. Um, I don't really expect you to have a great answer to this, Joe, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, how did that end up being a foul on Tyler Adams? Because <laughs> it's, it, I guess it's because he's backing up, but... Raul Jimenez comes flying in there, kind of crushes him in the back. I don't think Adams even knew that Jimenez was making that play. He goes down. There's a kind of a scrum at midfield. Uh, tempers are cooled. Adams goes off for treatment. And then Mexico had a free kick. Any ideas yeah. on that one? Uh, no, we need to get Mark Clattenburg involved right. in our podcast as well, just like ESPN <laughs> manages to do. Taylor, it, it's a bizarre thing. And Taylor Tolman was surprised about it on the broadcast. It felt a little unjust, but uh, I guess all is well that ends well. And then let's talk about that, the face raking that occurred, because uh, from the other side of the pitch in the press box, it was hard to see, uh, certainly not up close, did seem like there was more of an incident. And then I think on the replay, the entire stadium got very mad. And from yeah. that, there was a vocal response. There was the USA, USA chant, but it was pretty consistent for a good long while. And you could tell that things had kind of been ratcheted up there. But I wanted to ask you, what exactly happened there? Yeah, so it's Brendan Aronson getting fouled, and then Chaka Rodriguez is over in that area as well, and he's trying to pull Brendan Aronson up to to get the game going again, or maybe he thought Aronson had embellished. And Aronson's not especially keen to get up at that point. He's trying to trying to emphasize the foul from from Romo, and Chaka Rodriguez grabs his head and kind of claws again. I, I'm probably not doing the best job of describing it at this point. I'm sure the clip is all over Twitter, but it's. It's bad, right? You're not supposed to touch people's face. Really, in life, you're not supposed to touch people's faces outside of maybe a few <laughs> special people in your life. Uh, and I don't think Chaka Rodriguez and Brendan Aronson are quite on that level yet. I, I could be wrong. But there's there's fingernail involved. There's fingers digging into Brendan Aronson's face. And we got a close-up of his face as as he came off because Aronson comes right off after that sequence, pre-planned at this point because Christian Pulisic <laughs> was already warming up. But you get a look at his face, and I might be imagining things, but it looked like there was a little inflammation on Brendan Aronson's face. Just a, a bad moment in this game, but weirdly typical of, of this particular rivalry i would say so i would say yeah chaka rodriguez like come on man it's been a pandemic you're not supposed to touch your own face <laughs> certainly not supposed to touch anybody else's face like that but uh no significant punishment given there i will say we talked about this when we did the pregame show there was i think you asked me what were my expectations for the official and i said that i, I felt like it was either going to have to be him getting involved early to calm things down or him letting things go and things getting ratcheted up. And instead, I feel like it was a pretty balanced performance. I thought we would get a card inside the first 30 minutes. I think we don't end up getting one till uh, stoppage time of the first half. And I did think it was a pretty uh, kind of consistent game from him. Maybe that should have been a red card or I guess it should have been a red card and he missed that one. You have to imagine if VAR were there, it would have been given. So... I, I think I can forgive that one, even if Brendan Aronson's face might not. But Joe, <laughs> any issues with the officiating other, other than that? I thought I thought it was good, and maybe that's more of a byproduct of the game, which flowed a lot smoother than I thought it would. 
I mean, we, we didn't have yeah. a foul in this game until Yunus Musa in the sixth minute. I believe if my notes are, are to be trusted, and hopefully they are, it's <laughs> Yunus Musa on Raul Jimenez in the sixth minute. And, and there wasn't a lot of stoppages, right? It flowed smoothly, I felt, throughout the game. And there's, there's some breaks, of course. But overall, I thought the referee did a good job, Taylor. So let's let's keep going with the midfield then to go back to Weston McKinney for a moment. I I too am very disappointed that we won't be seeing him against Jamaica due to suspension. I also think that there were moments in this game that showed that maybe Tata Martino thought he might be the weak link in that midfield uh, whenever McKinney was kind of receiving the ball, especially with his back to Mexico's goal. There was an intensity to the way Mexico wanted to step to him, I think, thinking that he could be got at, that maybe that first touch was a little bit heavy. Joe, did you see anything from McKenney that you didn't particularly enjoy in this game? And I, and I ask that not for like individual moments, but more so, were there any consistent drawbacks to his game? Or for the most part, were you pretty pleased with everything from Weston on the evening? I was pretty pleased. I thought he looked cleaner on the ball than he did against Costa Rica. And, and he was on the ball a lot in that game, the final game of the October window. But he also had some key turnovers in that one, if you remember, right? There's that giveaway in the U.S.'s own half. I believe it was in the first half of that game that puts the U.S. in a tough spot and gives Costa Rica a great opportunity to break into the box. That happened in that game, and McKinney had a couple of other unforced errors. I thought he was a lot smoother on the ball tonight. He he tracked back and did a lot of the defensive running that he just straight up has to do for the U.S. and that he does mm-hmm. for Juve as well. He was doing that running, but then when he would get on the ball after working his way back and tracking back, he he almost always found an outlet ball, whether that was to Anthony Robinson on the left side, whether that, that was to the forward line and to Aronson or, or whoever in that space. I thought he was clean, and, and that's a huge asset for the U.S. When Weston McKinney is on on the ball, he, he can be a difference maker, not just with his off-ball movement, not just with his defending, but but with his passing. And I liked a lot of what I saw from him. One one criticism that I'll make of, not necessarily of McKinney, although he is involved in this a little bit, it ties into one thing Berhalter said at halftime, where he was talking to the ESPN broadcast crew, and he, he mentioned how the U.S. needed to be a little bit more patient in buildup. And one specific thing one specific thing he said after that is, I think we're passing out of areas where we have numbers too quickly, and then we got to break lines and switch field. And that last little bit stood out to me on rewatch especially because I went back through and was paying attention. Okay, what moments do the U.S. really need to move the ball a little bit quicker, go and find those areas where they have numbers? And, and one that stood out to me was in the 44th minute. It's nitpicking, but Weston McKinney gets on the ball on the right side, and if he or someone else in that space switches it to the left. The U.S. has a 2v1 with Brendan Aronson and Anthony Robinson. There's another moment in the 11th minute, so that's about 33, mo- 33 minutes earlier. It's, it's much earlier in the first half. It's Yunus Musa progressing the ball, then Pepe flicks, flicks it forward. The U.S. established possession and draw Mexico to the U.S.'s right, Mexico's left. And they pass the ball a bit, and eventually it comes to Adams, and he tries to switch. But it's that wayward pass from Adams, and Mexico go the other way. Those moments, those are those are sequences that could have broken the game open earlier than the U.S. actually did. The grand scheme of things, they left it a little bit late in this game. And if they clean up some of those attacking sequences, I, I think this could have looked different earlier in this match. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Christian Pulisic, after the game was asked about that, was asked if this is sort of the high watermark for the team, if he feels like... This is the kind of highest level they're going to reach. He said, I think we can improve. We're happy uh, where we're at, but we know that we can be better. And I think, yeah, to your point, Joe, a very good performance, but still those little individual letdowns and those sort of opportunities for Mexico are things that you probably want to try to limit to the extent possible, especially going forward, especially on the road uh, at the Azteca. You have to believe that Mexico may be a little bit more up for that game, especially given the result here. Once again, dos a cero. you got to say it as many times as you can. But Mexico not able to get on the score sheet, and a big part of that was because of Zach Steffen. Let's mm. talk about him for a second. Joe, uh, as you said, Greg Berhalter announced that it would be Steffen. I think uh, at least some of that in my mind was because he didn't want to keep getting questions about who was the number one <laughs> goalkeeper. Um, and he, he says it's going to be Steffen. You and I shared our concerns about that. We had talked about why we wanted it to be Matt Turner. We speculated that it was probably because of Stefan's superior distribution or perceived superior distribution that he starts this game. But Joe, I want to know how you're, how you're feeling about his shot stopping, given that he has a, a pretty big one early on in this game. I feel great about it in this game. Defensively, you really couldn't have asked anything more of Zach Steffen. It's it's a great save in the 18th minute after Mexico carved through the U.S.'s press, which is just textbook soccer, right? I know we, we approach these games from a U.S. men's national team standpoint, but man, 
you kind of have to appreciate how clean that movement is. Maybe Zimmerman should be a little tighter on Raul Jimenez. Uh, Yedlin should probably be a step higher to, to leave Chucky Lozano offside or should certainly not allow Lozano to run inside of him. But that it's a great ping, ping, ping up back and through to get Chucky Lozano in behind. And in that moment, I'm thinking it's about to be one nothing Mexico. But Zach Steffen says no. It's a good it's a good save from a technical standpoint. He gets there and, and, and doesn't allow the ball ultimately to hit the back of the net. And you can't ask for anything more than that defensively. Now, with the ball, I thought there were some good moments. Tenth minute, good ball on the ground to Yunus Musa. Fortieth minute, another one up the gut to Yunus Musa on the ground, keeping play moving, looking crisp. Then there's also moments like the the poor ball out to Anthony Robinson in the 45th plus plus one, so so first half stoppage time really in that in that sequence. And there's a couple others in this game. You know, Stefan ended up chipping a lot of balls into the forward line, which I think was part of the game plan to bypass some of Mexico's pressure. So overall, I thought he did a really really good job. All of that said. I do still have questions about a shot stopping going forward, right? This is one game, and it was an excellent game, and I'll be shocked if we don't see Stefan start against Jamaica on Tuesday. But this does not necessarily, in my mind, overwrite or override the data that we have on him from MLS, the data we have on him from his time in Europe. He still has not proven to be, on a consistent basis, the same level of shot stopper that Matt Turner is. He did it tonight, and he did exactly what was asked of him. But I think we need to see it again and again and again before we can really start to reverse some of that perception. Joe, I I really appreciate that you're taking the more cautious, more measured approach because it allows me to not have to do that. Because I'm going (laughs) to say, I thought this was about as good of a performance as you can get from a goalkeeper. And for people who are playing TSS bingo, yes, here's the part where I compare my amateur career to the U.S. men's national team. (laughs) But I will say that there is a, a, a motivating thing, a strengthening thing when you have just confidence and belief in your goalkeeper. And when he makes that save... That's definitely going to help with that. But then that he doesn't have any sort of individual moments that make you think like, oh, that wasn't good. He doesn't have a missed kick that goes straight out of bounds. He isn't kind of put under pressure and just miscontrols it or anything like that. But then when there's a shot from distance that's skipping along the ground, he gets down low and he smothers it and then he holds it. He doesn't spill it loose. There's another one uh, in the first half. I think uh, uh, Alvarez has a shot from distance. Uh, Stefan gets his footwork right, spreads across, pushes it wide. But that ball's at least... I thought it was going in and that is another big save for him. And then the way he comes out and commands the box on crosses uh, really in a congested box where Mexico, I think we're trying to make it really difficult for him to get off his line and get in a position to push the ball clear. I I believe he did it every single time that he came for it. He pushed it out or punched it out. Uh, Sometimes it went maybe 15 or 20 yards. Sometimes it went to like midfield. But I, I think just if you are a defender for the United States and you know the game plan you're trying to play, which is high intensity and high tempo and pressing, you don't want to have to have concerns about your goalkeeper. And I don't think he ever gave his team reason for concern throughout this game. Agreed. I think this is probably the best we've ever seen of Zach Steffen in the U.S. jersey. And I want to reiterate, he was awesome in this game. Very little to nitpick, and I did a little nitpicking already, (laughs) but very, very little to, to not like about this performance. Just do it again, Zach Steffen. Do it again on Tuesday. Do it again on Tuesday. We're going to talk about Tuesday against Jamaica and what we would like to see or what we think we might see. We also have a few more players to be discussed, Joe Lowry. But first, we're going to take one more break to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Joe, I'm going to come back and I'm going to keep it loose by asking you, are there any other players that you would like to discuss? We haven't talked about, say, Anthony Robinson. We haven't really talked about Yedlin or Pepe, Aronson and Musa. We've sort of glossed over a bit. And then obviously we should probably mention Christian Pulisic coming on and doing some pretty good things. Yeah, I mean, there it's hard to pick exactly where to go. I, I do want to go to Pepe, though, because I think as this game started, I, I put down in my notes... It's been a good first 10 minutes for the U.S. The U.S. is doing well in that stretch. And it was a fun start to this game, too, with the a little bit more open but still dedicated pressing style that the U.S. had. And the game was back and forth to an extent, but the U.S. was doing well. And I thought a large part of that was Ricardo Pepe's work coming back to get on the ball. He had some great hold-up play in the first 10 minutes. He had a good moment in the 8th minute to release Tim Weah centrally. had a good flick forward to DeAndre Yedlin in the 11th minute. Just just sequences where he's getting on the end of chipped balls forward from Zach Steffen and, and keeping plays alive, and not just keeping them alive, but furthering them by allowing the U.S. to break forward. That was huge. And, and Pepe cooled off. He cooled off some. He lost the ball and hold up play in the 24th minute. Touch lets him down a little bit in the 34th minute. There's a bunch of other sequences there. There's some situational factors, of course, behind that. Moments where he just doesn't have as much time on the ball or moments you don't really expect a nine to keep possession with a center back right on his back. You don't expect that to happen 100% of the time for Pepe to, to maintain the ball. But early on in this game, he was impressive in a way that I haven't been impressed by his hold-up play in the past. That's one thing I brought up on this show before. Pepe, I think, has looked overmatched at times physically as he's still trying to grow into his frame. He's 18, right? He's going to grow. It's going to take time. I'm not saying he's never going to grow into his body. But he hasn't been flawless in the past in those moments, and he wasn't in this game. But I thought there was a lot to like about what Pepe did with the ball for stretches of this one, Taylor. Forgive me if you already mentioned this uh, br- briefly, either just then or earlier, Joe, but did you like his movement on the night? Because that's a thing that you've talked about with Pepe, a thing that you, I believe, want to see more of or want to see him improve. Did you like his movement off the ball and especially in the box tonight? I generally like his movement. I thought it was pretty sharp tonight. There's one moment that stands out. It's early on in this game. I believe in the first five minutes or so, it's that way a ball. Yeah, fifth minute. Here it is. I found it in my notes. It's that low ball in from Tim Weah on the right side into Ricardo Pepe after Musa plays the ball over to Weah so that the Weah plays it in. And Pepe can't quite get there, but you can see the wheels turning. You can see him in seeing the space and trying to attack that ball. It's one example of what Pepe does in the box. And he gets involved in a few other moments too. I, obviously, you want to see a goal from a number nine, right? And we had been spoiled a bit by Pepe scoring in his first couple of caps. And that hasn't happened recently, but that's okay. When other people are picking up the slack, your nine doesn't always need to be bagging in those goals. You want it to happen, but you don't need it. Generally speaking, Taylor, to get back to your question, I liked what we saw from Pepe. And I think he earned a little bit of a rest at the end of this game and Jesus Ferreira coming on and filling a little bit of a, of a different role with how he adapts to that nine spot. I do also think uh, to, to nitpick for a moment. There's that that moment that you talked about early in the in the uh, the first half, and then in the second half. There's a Tim Weah ball in that gets deflected. It spills to Pepe, and he gets his hips around it, yep. but skies the shot. And I think 
that probably should have been on frame at the very least. So there are those two moments, but I also think that was a sort of consistent thing for the United States. Anytime they got into shooting position, Yudas Musa has one of the first half that he hits over. In the second half, he has a volley opportunity that he hits straight into the ground. And I'm guessing that's because he really didn't want to hit it over again, but maybe overcompensated. I was very hopeful that he would get a third chance because I wanted there to be a Goldilocks situation and that one he would smash into the back of the net. Alas, we'll just have to save that till Jamaica or maybe Mexico away. Uh, so I thought maybe the finishing could have been sharper on a couple occasions. But again, Dos Acero, I'm not going to complain too much because we end up with Dos Acero. I have to believe that Jesus Ferreira misses that chance at the very end. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give him the credit the way we used to give Clint Dempsey credit for missing a penalty when the U.S. was up 2-0 on Mexico. Maybe he just wanted to preserve the tradition, Joe. Yeah, of course. That's it. I mean, I, I think that's exactly what Jesus Ferreira would tell you. It wasn't that he just missed wide left at all or anything in, along those lines. What a great, what a great bit of ball progression from Anthony Robinson on that sequence. It's late yeah. in the second half. The U.S. already up 2-0. Like you're saying, Taylor, Anthony Robinson gets on the ball and he just goes and goes and goes. And at first, I think, okay, he's just going to stop and waste some time and maybe get to the corner. But no, he, he actually drives forward and plays a great ball into the box for Jesus Ferreira, who misses that shot. Robinson was pretty involved on the left side in this game. And I thought uh, I thought performed well defensively to Taylor. One thing that we mentioned, one thing that I mentioned, I think actually after you after you left to go to the press conference in the, the post-game show, was how how well generally the U.S. adapted defensively to dealing with Tecatito and dealing with Chucky Lozano. Of course, those chances that we've mentioned a few times already in this show. But there weren't many moments on first watch or rewatch where those players really threatened. There weren't even that many moments where Mexico's wingers were in 1v1s to begin with. You have the sequence in the second minute where Miles Robinson wins the ball from Tecatito. And Tecatito shakes him a little bit. I'm not going to lie, right? There's there's a moment of, of uncertainty there. But Robinson recovers and wins the ball. Then there's a moment in the 28th minute where Tecatito has A-Rob. That's, I'm just going to shorten it for the sake of, of my own vocal cords. He has A-Rob 1v1. Doesn't lead to anything. Chucky Lozano gets A-Rob isolated 1v1 in the 42nd minute and does draw a foul. And there's some other fouls drawn. I'm not going to detail the moments in the second half. But the U.S. did a good job of, one, either denying those moments for the wingers to get on the ball in the first place, or two, just fouling and not allowing those players to get up to speed. We see that even with the center backs. Miles Robinson picking up a yellow for that foul on Chaka Rodriguez in first half stoppage time. You bring him down, and he didn't need to, as we could see watching the game, because we, we knew that Robinson had him covered. A-Rob a- had M-Rob covered. It's a little complicated there. But, but I mean, it, it's, it's smart play from the U.S. to not allow these attacks to develop at all. That's, that's something that I think has been missing in the past for the U.S., but was, was very much there in a savvy veteran kind of way tonight. No arguments here. And I would even add, I think it it was a really good team performance in the few times that there would be sort of isolated moments uh, for, say, that left side for the United States. Because in the first half especially, it seemed like Mexico, when they would get uh, into spells of possession, their goal was to find uh, Hector Herrera, Ache Ache, in a pocket of space. He would then turn and ping a ball out wide, sort of in behind the back line or usually splitting it between M-Rab and A-Rab into the path (laughs) of Chucky Lozano or Tecatito who started there and then they swapped. And oftentimes, not oftentimes, but at least a few times, it gets through. And I think that is the pace of of Chucky. And that then... There's no diving in. There's no panic there. It's just everybody collapses back the way they need to. And it ends up being that Anthony Robinson sort of closes that ground, but doesn't go diving in, but doesn't sort of stand up. I think what Lozano wants almost every single time, and Tecatito kind of the same, is they're fine if you dive in and they'll try to go around you, but there's like that little elastico in the second half. It's once they get a defender sort of stood up 1v1, I think they're back themselves to take them on and beat them. But if you either get up in their grill and knock them around a little bit or stand off a little bit more and invite them onto you, it slows the sequence down. And that might not have worked as well if everyone else isn't tracking back and covering. But when you slow them down, if you're Anthony Robinson, and then you have, uh, let's say, Tim Weah or Brendan Aronson working back as aggressively as they were to sort of prevent any other overloads, it really stifles what Mexico are able to do. And so I thought... Certainly a very strong defensive performance from both fullbacks and the center back pairing as well. But then from, for those fullbacks attacking as well, DeAndre Edlin, not as much. I think that was an intentional decision to not have him as involved in the attack, or at least I don't remember him being as involved as I do Anthony Robinson, who was oftentimes the outlet. And even at times, I think was 
being more cautious than Burhalter wanted. There's a time when he has some space to to attack, and he ends up playing a, a center pass that I think finds Weston McKinney, who uh, tries to hit another pass across the field, and that doesn't come off. And Burhalter has words with Anthony Robinson, and the next time he gets the ball, he drives forward 30 or 40 yards with it. And so I think he definitely had the backing to go in and try to make something happen. And I think by the end of the game was a player that Mexico Mexico did not want to see on the ball, and we're not pleased to have on the ball in open space because we know he's got pace, but it seems like he's got confidence as well, confidence that we haven't seen from him uh, for a long time playing for the United States. But now has got that swagger. And the U.S., once again, Joe, Dos Acero, they got that win. <laughs> yes, they did. One one thing you're mentioning there, Taylor, that we haven't spent as much time talking about is the U.S.'s attack, right? In a lot of ways, it took a bit of a backseat, in my mind, to the press in this game, or at least a lot of the attacking play originated from pressing or from counter-pressing. So some of that is justified in how we're talking about this game. But I, I do want to talk about how the U.S. tried to attack Mexico. In the first half, one of my, one of my gripes, I guess, of, of what I was seeing is it felt to me like the U.S. was pretty darn cross-heavy, right? They would get the ball into the final third, and I actually did see DeAndre Edlin involved a lot, but mostly in the form of hopeful crosses on that right side. You got the cross from Wade to Pepe early on. You have a fourth-minute early cross from A-Rob that doesn't find anybody. You got a 25th-minute cross from Yedlin to Miles Robinson. McKenney cross to Wea, Yedlin cross. I mean, there's just a bunch of these moments that it's like we're not seeing a lot of really well-built and well-thought-out attacking play. The U.S. had runners in the box, and it's possible that one of those would have come together. But I thought one thing the game was lacking was a, a bit more quality and maybe a little bit more movement in the final third. And then the second half starts, and we see exactly that, Taylor. We're texting a little bit back and forth, just talking about how the final ball is maybe lacking, and, and the U.S. is close to breaking through. And they nearly do, right? We get a taste of it when Anthony Robinson gets a shot in the 47th minute after a McKenney cutback or cross from the Man City zone on the right side. And then the real money chance is is a couple minutes later. It's the 49th minute. Tyler Adams has the ball. He plays it wide to Yedlin, who then plays a, an extremely well-weighted ball to Tim Weah in behind, who's exploiting the gap between the left back and the left center back for Mexico. Weah gets on the ball, cuts it back to Weston McKenney, who shoots and draws a save from Guillermo Ochoa again in the 49th minute. That's a phenomenal sequence, right? That could have been 1-0 right there. Statistically, obviously, that's, that ball is always not going to go in the back of the net. But those are the kinds of moments you want, right? Those are the sequences that the U.S. build for. Baralthers talked about that exact pattern, the winger running it behind, timing the run for the fullback to play him, and then finding a late-arriving midfielder. I mean, how many times have we heard him talk about Weston McKinney in his late-arriving runs into the box, right? If you took a shot every time Baralthers said that, or if we did that, we wouldn't be coherent enough to record this podcast, right? I mean, there, there's so many moments that Brothers talked about that in the past. And we actually saw that play out in the second half. And that's another reason why I just came away from the first watch and especially the rewatch feeling good about this team. That moment doesn't lead to a goal, of course, but but it could have, Taylor. And you want more and more of those moments. And I, I hope we see more and more of those things going forward for the U.S. That ball from Yedlin, man, that was so that good, was one of right? my favorite so passes good. of the night, and it was and it was really cool to see him be able to play that type of pass and make smart, uh, like dangerous passes, but then keeping it safe at times. But then contrasting that with just how ready he was to scrap and ready he was to kind of battle uh, Mexico across the board. I loved it. I loved him stepping to balls. I loved him winning stuff in the air. And I thought we saw that uh, from most of the team on the evening. I think Yunus Musa picking the ball up and going at Mexico and drawing fouls and popping back up and having words and jawing at them. He gets in their heads a little bit. He gets in their faces a little bit and I think became a player that they were nervous to have to deal with. I think Brendan Aronson, a player we haven't talked about that much, sort of the same. I think that there that he was, I think, pretty instrumental to the way the U.S. was pressing, certainly. And again, I feel bad that he subs out when he did what he did, so he doesn't get uh, his name on the score sheet or anything like that. But I think was a just consistently menacing presence for Mexico to have to deal with and have to navigate. And I, I think with that, we've talked about pretty much. All of the starters, uh, Joe, I welcome you to talk about any of those uh, three other names, or we could just spend a moment talking about Christian Pulisic, who gets the opening goal, as you said, with maybe his first touch of the game. Let's talk about Christian Pulisic, shall we? Yeah. He has been 
erratic in World Cup qualifying. And he's also just not been involved a whole lot, right? Missing missing a lot of time after picking up an injury in the first window back in September. He hasn't been fully integrated into this group really in, in a couple of months now. And he comes off the bench in this game. We knew he wasn't going to start. Baralter mentioned that in the same press conference that he that he discussed Zach Steffen getting the start. So that was known coming into this game. We assumed it was going to be Aronson starting in his place. Christian Pulisic comes off the bench and and man, that run he makes in the sequence, it's it's like the finishing touch. It's the cherry on top of that that goal ice cream sundae. The ball from Wea and the separation that he creates from Jesus Gallardo is is top notch. I mean, that is elite level stuff and Wea's foot speed is it blows my mind watching him play and how quick he is and how quick he translates thoughts into actual actions on the field. But but the ball in is good. And then the, the run from Christian Pulisic, it's a part of his game that we don't talk about a lot, but it's a part of his game that it's it, it's really well developed from Christian Pulisic. Yes, he's dangerous on the ball. He's dangerous on the dribble. He draws fouls. We saw all of those things in the latter stages of this one. But man, the damage he can do by pulling in a weak side run, being that accent runner, not the first guy in the box, maybe not even the second guy in the box, but the third guy crashing and taking advantage of a, a lapse in, in in judgment and in attention from Mexico's back line. He gets into the gap and, and heads the ball home. It's a, it's a textbook header. And it's a textbook run from Christian Pulisic doing exactly what the U.S. needed him to do in that moment, Taylor. And can you explain the celebration for folks at home who might be wondering? Absolutely. So so he goes over to the camera, to the crowd, and he lifts up his jersey, Pulisic does, and it says, man in the mirror. And that's, an, that's a direct reference to comments that Guillermo Ochoa, Mexico's goalkeeper, had made prior to this game, speaking to Tudiene. Uh, Ochoa had said, Mexico has been the mirror in which they, meaning the United States, want to see themselves and reflect what they want to copy. That's what Ochoa said to Tudiene. And uh, apparently DeAndre Yedlin and Tim Weah had asked the U.S. the U.S. men's national team's kit man to whip up some of those uh, undershirts that said man in the mirror in a moment or should a moment like the one that we saw from Christian Pulisic arise and they have a chance to show off that undershirt. Uh, I think the U.S. turned out to to be looking maybe at more than Mexico in the mirror in the build up to this game. <laughs> Uh, I believe also that was the first song that played post post match uh, rang out over the stadium PA was Man in the Mirror. So I think they were really <laughs> trying to drive home that they were not uh, big fans of that comment from Ochoa, who was booed every single time he was on the ball. And I believe that would be because the fans also didn't love some of the comments he made. So a good home atmosphere, certainly. And as I said earlier, like I think there were moments when they picked up the energy the crowd did and really got the U.S. going. I thought the national anthem doesn't always like register for me. It doesn't always like stir those emotions for me. Maybe that's because I'm at home. But tonight it definitely did and everybody's singing along. And I think it just it, it got the crowd fired up and kept them fired up. Uh, Pulisic in the post match didn't really want to talk about so much. Uh, was asked a couple times about uh, the the shirt and just said basically, uh, you you know what it was about. <laughs> like I I think you guys know the message. Uh, then he did joke that he had actually written it while looking into into a mirror. That got a laugh. Uh, but yeah, I think there was a a frustration with some of the uh, trash talk from Mexico. Tim Weah talked about that in in his post-match comments, just that they didn't really love how much smack was being talked from Mexico, and they wanted to just remind them that the United States could be a problem, and I think they did exactly that. Joe Larry, anything else from this game that you want to mention? Yeah, I want to toss in a few stats, and these aren't mine. I didn't make them. They come from Paul Carr, who is the stat guru. Go follow him on Twitter, at Paul Carr. First, XG. Uh, the U.S. had 2.17 expected goals in this game. Mexico had 0.72. The U.S. outshot them 18-8. to 8. You want to take those things with a grain of salt, of course, right? I mean, it's important to contextualize these things. But we just watched this game, and that feels very reflective of the run of play and of the shooting chances that were there. The U.S. controlled a lot of those moments. Mexico had the better chances in the first half. But in the second half, man, the U.S. just was all over Mexico. I have in my notes, and I wish I could go back through one more time and triple check this, but I don't believe that Mexico had a shot in the second half until the 87th minute. I could be wrong on that. At least it was up till the 80th minute. But the U.S. just gave them no room. No room to build out, no room to breathe, no room to play and mess around in the in the final third for Mexico. The fouls were there and the U.S. was good defending set pieces. Those are, those are really telling stats, the XG and the shots. And then some of the touches in this game. Man, if you go through, Paul Carr has this Twitter thread. I'm not going to read all of it. But the U.S. had way more touches in the final third than Mexico, especially in the opening minutes of the second half. 
there was just so much to like about this performance. I, I, I'm just feeling weird. It, it feels wrong to say this, Taylor. I'm just feeling really positive about this team and about this result in a way that I just didn't expect leading into this game after a lot of the ups and downs, really the roller coaster ride that we've been on over the last couple of months, Taylor. I mean, it might just be that this is a, a big time team that like they need that sort of energy. They need that opponent. They need that trash talk to get fired up when they're playing. I don't know, uh, Panama away or El Salvador away. Maybe there's a complacency there. And I think that to me speaks to youth. It's not a thing that I'm okay with because that's how you get punished. I think you have to be up for every single game and every single opponent to the extent that you can be. But for the the way they got up for this game and the way they kept that energy throughout, the way they made little adjustments, the way they they fought for loose balls, they got those opportunities, they took those opportunities. And Joe, to your point, I don't have any notes for a Mexico shot after like the 31st minute, I think. Mm. I, I Again, that might be wrong. They may have gotten other ones. But I think those XG numbers you gave us uh, attest to the dominant performance from the United States yeah. on the night. And they really, really do. Taylor, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here and I let you go and, and sleep is what other nuggets did you pick up from the press conference? I listened into some of it that they, they streamed on Twitter, but what did you learn from that or, or maybe the atmosphere of the stadium? Just just fill us in with whatever else you've got from actually being in Cincinnati. I, yeah, I think starting off just the atmosphere, you, you didn't have like a dedicated section. There wasn't like one section that was red, white, and blue and one section that was uh, green and red. It was pretty intermixed, but I, it was definitely the case that the United States, uh, supporters were the more vocal, more consistently throughout the game. And I think really did, uh, start off on a strong foot and kept that strong foot going. I think a lot of that was, uh, hard work behind the scenes from people at U.S. Soccer. Uh, Henry Bushnell wrote an article about that, about the, what they did to sort of limit who could buy tickets and when tickets were purchased. And that itself has been a little bit controversial with some people, but I think there was a lot of thought put into all of the preparation, including uh, getting rid of the Iceland clap. Joe, did you hear about that one? I did. Yeah. Baralter moved that to the, the pregame tunnel or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But basically they felt like it, it made them come out flat. They didn't want that. They wanted it to be raucous. And so they went with more of a USA, USA chance. And I think it did. It, you could tell that there was a lot of thought put into the way they wanted this game to go. Even little things like the lighting uh, for the upper deck was uh, red and blue. I wonder how much people loved feeling like they were they were under a heat lamp. That said, it was very cold, so maybe they love being under a heat lamp. But like just little atmospheric things like that, uh, I think probably made a, a a slight difference or at least kept people more involved in the game, which was pretty unpleasant from a temperature and uh, like atmospheric condition standpoint, weather standpoint, basically. Uh, very cold, very rainy, very windy. It is still cold and uh, raining. I can say that much. I don't know if it's windy because luckily I'm inside. But I think it could have been a really negative night if things had gone a different way. But I think it didn't end up being a negative night. And that makes me happy. Tim Weah made me very, very happy in his post-match <laughs> comments. Uh, he answers everything very directly, but clearly puts thought into every single one of his answers. But also just is a very likable guy, and it was nice to hear that he and DeAndre Yedlin are, are best friends. He said that. He talked about how Yedlin was kind of his best friend from the moment he first came into camp and felt like Yedlin took him under his wing. And as you said, they were the ones who came up with the idea for the shirt. But it made me really happy that it also seems like Yunus Musa is part of that crew, and the three of them are pretty tight. Uh, I, way I mentioned that Musa came to visit him this summer in New York, I believe, and he took him out to go to some restaurants. They hung out, and you can see that there's a bond there. You can see that there's a lot of chemistry in this team. Uh, I think Berhalter, it was nice to see crack a smile on a couple of occasions. That's not a thing we always see, and it was cool to see. Uh, they have that sort of fishbowl press conference area where on one side the fans can all kind of stand and watch and to see him get applauded in and and cheered for I think it's probably not a thing that he's gotten a lot of from the U.S. fan base at times so I think that was probably also a pretty happy moment for him uh looking through my notes to see if there's anything else uh Tim West emphasized that the way 
forward for this team is to stay honest and stay humble and continue to work because there is this idea that Jamaica is right around the corner. You can't rest on your laurels. You can't be so overconfident from this game or just so like, well, we did it. We won the World Cup. Nothing else matters. You've got to be up for that next game. And I think that is a thing that they're sort of trying to stress. There was definitely an emphasis on like, and we're back to it tomorrow. We're going to get right after it. Uh, they're heading to Jamaica pretty quickly, I believe. And then I'm, I'm assuming training is going to kick right back up and away we will go. And that, Joe, is where I wanted to end it with what would you like to see against Jamaica? Obviously, a similar performance. I would not mind if the U.S. came out and was aggressive and tried to take the game to Jamaica and did that same press. And I think it could be even more effective. We know we won't have a couple people there. Specifically, Miles Robinson gets the red card or the second yellow, so he'll be out. DeAndre Yedlin was sort of nursing an injury throughout this game. I thought Reggie Cam and might come in, but he did not. I won't be surprised if DeAndre Edlin doesn't start that next game. I will, And I also won't be surprised if it's Reggie Cannon who does. I would guess we're going to see Walker Zimmerman and Chris Richards. We might see Mark McKenzie in there if Berhalter really wants to change it up. But I think Zimmerman now seems to be, or maybe has been, but in my mind is that sort of leadership figure that Burhalter wants. Uh, I did, I was sitting next to Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. I did twice call him Tim Ream because from a distance, they continue to look the exact same. Uh, and maybe that's the veteran presence that Burhalter wants is a replacement for Ream. And it seems like he's found it in Zimmerman. So those are a couple changes we might see, Joe. Anything else you would like to see against uh, Jamaica? I agree with some of your thoughts on reshuffling the back line. The, the central midfield group's a little bit trickier for me. No, no Weston McKinney, as we've discussed, coming into this yep. game on a yellow and picking up a second yellow in the aftermath of the aronson Chaka Rodriguez uh, battle clash of the second half, however you want to phrase that. We don't, we're not going to get to see Weston McKinney, and we're not going to see the MMA midfield in Jamaica. And this is where I really wish we would have seen Luca De La Torre on this roster. And we talked about that when the, when the roster dropped. What was that? A week and a half ago at this point. That was, yep. that was an area that I criticized. And I, I think I'll criticize again now or I, I'll just go out and do it. Darn it. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think Luca De La Torre would be the right player to put in that group. He can cover ground. He can progress the ball and having him and Musa in front of Adams. If those two players start again on Tuesday. I think would be the perfect combo. Instead, I, I, I'm hoping we'll see Gianluca Busio, and if not Busio, then I don't really much care who that that third central midfielder is for the U.S. So that's something I'm going to be watching headed into Tuesday's game. The front line might reshuffle slightly. Maybe we'll see Christian Pulisic start. I think that's entirely possible. Maybe Baralder just runs out the same front three and, and goes with a similar sub pattern that we saw in this game. So those are some personnel things that I'll be thinking about as, as next week approaches tactically. I'd like to see the U.S. approach things fairly similarly. I don't, I don't expect them to run quite as much or, or press quite as aggressively against Jamaica as they did in this game. I don't know how, how hard you can run some of these guys out again. I expect to see a similar lineup, yes, but I don't know how much energy they're going to have for that game. So you might have to be a little bit smarter about choosing your moments to press. But generally speaking, I don't think you want to mess with this recipe. And, and this is the recipe that Burlzer has been trying to build to and to formulate and, and perfect for quite some time now. So I, I'd like to see a lot of things just run out again and, and replicate it on Tuesday. And, and fingers crossed, we'll see that, Taylor. We will, and it will be against Jamaica, obviously. They got a one-to-one draw uh, tonight on the road at El Salvador, or against El Salvador. Uh, and I think, Joe, you're probably right that we might not be able to see it as uh, much intensity in that press because I'm not sure they'll need to because I do have to believe Jamaica will go with a more defensive approach. That's not necessarily a thing they did last time, and they could well spring it and try to be aggressive and try to step higher up the pitch, but... I think as we saw in that Jamaica game and have talked about previously, that tends to leave them pretty wide open and pretty stretched. And there's a lot of space to attack for the U.S. And so I think we'll see Jamaica be more pragmatic and more cautious. And so that then means the U.S. is going to have more of the ball. And that might be where you do see Christian Pulisic start or you do see Tim Weah start even. I wouldn't be surprised if Ariola gets a start in there, but... I think you want some technical players who are going to create some goal scoring opportunities. Uh, Ariola can do a lot, but I wouldn't say that like his presence in front of goal is the primary reason he's in this team. I watched them when they were warming up. He warmed up the entire second half and he was constantly like, 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 like just messing around with guys. Like you could like John Luca Busio. He like, I watched him like trip Busio once and like shove him around a little bit. And it was just a lot of that. And I feel like that's kind of why he's here is he's a glue guy. He's a chemistry guy. 
Maybe he starts, but I, I would rather see the U.S. have some people who are going to pick apart that defense, cause some problems for Jamaica. And if you do start Pulisic, maybe you get up one or two, hopefully, hopefully. And then maybe he's a halftime sub or maybe you bring him in in the second half. But I, I think I won't care as much about who starts that game as much as I will. I want to see this consistency, this performance carry over. I don't want to see it then go back to this sort of stop-start uh, performance from the United States where sometimes it's good, but then they're missing passes and they just look kind of sloppy. They don't really look up for it. I don't want to see a hangover from this game. I want to see... I don't know what the opposite of a hangover is, but a clean living. I want to see clean living from the United <laughs> States as they get another three points. Oh, man. These three points were big. And in, in, in a lot of ways, they're bonus points. These are not games that you necessarily expect or demand the U.S. to win. Maybe the, Maybe the general fan does, but when you think about it, you don't really want to be banking your whole World Cup qualification cycle on a win against Mexico. It was the best team in this region. You want to take care of business elsewhere. And the U.S. covered for some of their past mistakes by winning this game. They're top of the Ocho right now. Mexico's right behind them on goal difference. They're both on 14 points. Canada's on 13 points from seven games. Everybody's played seven games at this point. And Panama's on 11 points in fourth. There's a pretty clear divide that's developed partially thanks to Panama's comeback against Honduras between those top four teams and the bottom four teams, Costa Rica, Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras in that order. The Jamaica game is going to be big to see if the U.S. can continue to to stay at the top of the table. Mexico and Canada face off against each other. That could work in the U.S.'s favor if they both pick up draws. I think that would probably be the most ideal outcome, although maybe you want some distance between one and two and and two and three. So I don't know exactly the best combination for those things. But these points, Taylor, I I do know that these points were big. Joe, real quick, uh, who did you say is top of the table? I just want to hear it one more time. The United States of America. There we go. And Joe, I believe in our preview episode, uh, a certain individual may have pointed out that Dos Acero would have sent the United States to the top of the table. Oh, Taylor. Uh, oh, Taylor. Which is my way of just saying, I'm very, very happy right now. Yes, you you nailed that. And you even nailed it to the point where someone actually tweeted out at me thinking that I had done that, and I, I'm not going to correct them. But Taylor, that is all you. I'll correct them on air. Taylor, that was all you making that observation. And uh, you should observe things more often or predict things more often, because that's exactly what happened, man. I mean, I will say I almost wrote a tweet about uh, if you put money on the U.S. or on there to be a yellow card inside the first 30 minutes, you've got to be feeling pretty good right now. And that didn't end up happening. So I would say not all my predictions work <laughs> out well. And I'm not even sure I predicted that as much as just speculated that Dos Acero would potentially be enough. And it was on the night, Joe Lowry. Uh, I want to say one more time how good of a job you did in our uh, pre and post game show. Joe had to run things and there was a like little bit of technical scrambling on my end because uh, it was raining and red as we were about to go, uh, the wind picked up and suddenly my computer was covered in water. It no longer is. Oh, it's still no. functioning. That's good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it ended up being a little bit chaotic. So Joe, you handled that well. And I'm going to assume the post-match went uh, pretty good too. We had a lot of people tuning into that one. And we really, really appreciate everybody who did. We really appreciate everyone who's listening right now. But Joe Lowry, I appreciate you the most for uh, for being here with me for watching it again for talking it all out and then we get to do it again against jamaica oh yeah baby no taylor thank you as always for uh for talking this stuff out with me and listeners thank you all for for those of you guys that tuned in to the br uh, app the the live show we had going on there we'll do that again tuesday i had so much fun i tweeted about this it was just a blast doing that live and, and feeling the energy about this game not even being there just doing this from my my home so uh, i hope you guys will join us again on tuesday for that it, it's in the bleacher report app and, and we had tons of fun <sighs> Big smiles over here, Joe. Big smiles over here. And yeah, and, it, and it's, a, it's a cool thing. It's cool to get to chat back and forth and people can submit questions. We'll answer those live, uh, obviously, before the game and then after. Uh, but Joe Lowry, once again, I appreciate it. Uh, any other things you want to mention before we call this one an evening? Nothing for me, Taylor. It is bedtime, baby. There we go. All right. (laughs) Joe, get some sleep. I will do the same. Listeners, you can do the same or you can keep listening to podcasts. It's your choice. But for now, thank you again for listening and we'll talk to you all again very soon. 